Good to see you. If you're new here tonight, welcome. My name is Paul. Uh, please keep your Bible open there on uh, 1 Corinthians 4, page 808, and let me pray. Father, it's really good to sing your praises. It's so good to meet as a, a group together to look at your scriptures. And so we pray that these uh, few minutes now will be really profitable uh, for our own walk with you and for the growing of this church. And we pray that we would respond in a way that brings glory to Christ. In his name. Amen. I guess uh, we've all been there. We've all uh, dreamed the dream. We dream of you know, leading the Australian cricket team, maybe, as we lose the Ashes to England. Um, maybe like me, you, you dream of leading a boy band, as a lead singer in a boy band. Maybe you dream of leading a, a big CEO, a big CEO of a massive multimedia company. Maybe you dream of leading a big church, leading a big a mega church with loads of people. Maybe you dream of leading the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. What do you dream of? Leading the, leading the Tour de France, the Yellow Jersey Tour de France? What do you dream of leading? What does it mean to, to be a, a leader? At an early age, we're taught just to, to dream to be a leader, to be a leader in the world. What does it mean to lead in the world? Here's some advice uh, from leadership books on your screen. Be the best. Win respect. Succeed where other people have failed. Or this advice from another book. Form is more important than content. Prestige is more important than humility. Rhetoric comes above truth. Money comes above people. And reputation comes above integrity. That's what the world thinks of leadership. You know, success, respect, rhetoric, reputation, just be the best. Doesn't matter who you trample on, just be the best, get your way to the top. Actually, about Christian leadership, what does it mean to be a leader as a Christian? How should knowing Jesus shape the way that you lead? Is it the same? You know, form over content, rhetoric over truth. You see, leaders can do either a great deal of good or, or massive damage. You know, the, the Christian leader who, who compromises truth and leads people away from Christ can, can wreck a church. Or the Christian leader who's so puffed up with pride and, and arrogance, they can wreck a church. Or the Christian leader who is leading the double life, you know, compromising his faith, leading a hypocritical life, and is suddenly exposed, that can wreck a church. But equally, uh, people can wreck a church. You know, when people in the church fight over who is the better leader, when people in the church expect their leaders to, to meet all their needs, when people judge their leaders by uh, secular criteria, as many a leader in a church who's been driven out of ministry, if you want, because of people sitting in the pews. Do you get why, why church leadership is so important? We're not just talking about uh, profit margins or, or share prices. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about people's eternal salvation, either heaven or hell. And that is why church leadership is so important. What do you look for in your leaders? If you're here tonight and you're new, we're looking at 1 Corinthians. 
It's a letter written to a church in Corinth. Corinth is a city in Greece, pretty similar to Sydney. You know, they're obsessed with sport. They're obsessed with philosophy and intelligent thinking. They're obsessed with, with music, with a big opera house. They're obsessed with just having a good time. Just, just live life for the now. And Paul planted this church. He founded this church. Then he left the church and left Apollos there. Apollos was a great teacher. Apollos kept on building on that foundation. But then other teachers came and the church has drifted. And they drifted away from Christ. And they're engaging in these new ideas and new teaching. They're, they're kind of like a progressive church or an emerging church. They think they know it all. I think there's three problems with Corinth. They've moved on from the cross. Uh, they think that, that Jesus Christ and him crucified is just too simple. We want deeper things. Uh, they're idolising leaders. You know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. They're, they're just people followers. And they've got what's called, an, a big word coming up, an over-realised eschatology. Eschatology just means the end times. They're trying to bring all the, the promises of heaven into the, the now. They want to experience all of heaven here on earth. And when you do those three things, move away from the cross, follow leaders, bring heaven to earth, what happens then? You get a church that looks successful, but actually is driving people away from Christ. And you've got a church that might grow numerically, but it lacks depth in Christ. And you've got leaders who become puffed up and arrogant and proud. Let me say right up front, this sermon is not just for leaders. When you read the Bible... When it talks about Christian leaders, it lists various qualities that leaders should have. Uh, so 1 Timothy 3 says, uh, A leader is not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, patient, kind, compassionate. Uh, and what's striking about that list is that none of those qualities are really exceptional qualities. You know, kindness, compassion, gentleness. They're what you expect of every Christian. And that's true, because the leader needs to lead the people. It's just to be... God's people to act like Christ. And that's why this sermon is relevant to all of us here if we believe it's in Christ. Because it's not just the leaders you need to be like. Every Christian needs to be like this. And if you're here tonight, you're not a believer, I hope that you'll be challenged to, to rethink your idea of leadership according to the Bible. And think why. why. Why is Christian leadership different? So what is Christian leadership? Firstly, it's about servant leadership. It's about servant leadership. See, too often in the church we, we elevate leaders. You know, we, we, we dress them differently. Uh, we give them different titles like reverend or the honourable. Uh, they're given new privileges. And church leaders can become these almost celebrities. And it can puff them up. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? I mean, the Pharisees who love to dress up and who love the place of honour. And Jesus said... Matthew 23, you are not to be called rabbi, for you only have one master. It's what Paul says here in verse 1 of chapter 4. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Now, now think about that. Paul was the, the most successful church planter of the first century. But he wasn't after the accolades. He wasn't after the church planting medal. He says, I'm a servant of Christ. The word he uses is an unusual word. It's, it's like the attendant who carries someone's bags for them. Or it's like the, uh, the PA who does all the work. 
You know, she organizes or he organizes the speeches and the conferences and somebody else takes the glory. That's the word. He says, I'm a servant of Christ. Not, not glory to me, but glory to Christ. Or verse 1 again. As those entrusted with the secret things of God. Literally, a steward of the, of the, the secret things of God. Uh, again, that word steward is a bit like uh, the air stewards, you know, who are given responsibility to, to look after a child on the flight, to get the child from London to Sydney, and they, they sit with them and they protect them and they care for them. He's kind of saying, I've been entrusted with the secret things of God, verse 1. Uh, that is just the gospel. Uh, the things that God kept hidden for generations but has now revealed. He said, I've been entrusted with that and I'm going to guard it with my life. That is Paul, a, a servant and a steward. Now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, a leader, a Christian leader, is a servant with just one master, and that master is Jesus Christ. You know, Christian leaders are, are not servants of the church, as if the church can tell them what to do and not to do. Leaders are, are not masters of the church, you know, as if we're lording it over people. Jesus is the master, we're just servants. Steve Kriger has just joined us as an MTS apprentice. And I have to say, I've been, I've been shocked by the number of times that people have called him the slave boy. It's shocking. But then again, it's not shocking. It's actually spot on. He's not my slave, he's not your slave, but he is a, a slave of Christ. Just like I'm a slave of Christ. And just like anybody who is a Christian is a slave of Christ. We're serving one master, Jesus Christ. Now, how do you spot the true servant leader? According to 1 Corinthians 4, it's about faithfulness and about playing to an audience of one. See it there in verse 2? Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful or prove trustworthy. That's the litmus test. Not eloquence, not wisdom, not initiative, not success, not popularity, but are they faithful? Are they trustworthy with God's word, with God's message? A friend of mine, Philip, is um, he's now a pastor of a church. I was at church with him, in a Bible study with him. Uh, he wasn't the most intelligent, he wasn't the most eloquent person. But boy, he was faithful. And he led great Bible studies. They weren't showy, they weren't dynamic, but they were faithful and they were trustworthy. And now he's pastor of a church. Again, not the most dynamic speaker, not the most showy, but he is faithful to the word of God. And God is growing his church. And that is the criteria. You might not like style, but is the leader trustworthy? Please stop measuring a success of a church by personalities or styles or, or just numbers. Ask the question, is the minister faithful? Faithful to the gospel? Are they faithful to their master? And are they just seeking the approval from their master? So, audience of one. If you look for your compliments in the now, you miss the goal. If you're looking for people's comments now, you'll just become people pleasers. But Paul's ministry was shaped by a day called Judgment Day. Stone verse 3. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. You see, the Corinthians are kind of acting like a grand jury. They've, they've put Paul in the dock and they are examining his ministry. They're criticising, they're passing comments, they're, they're delivering their verdict on Paul. And you know, churches do that all the time. 
Churches do that all the time. They make comments about uh, leaders in the church that are quite frankly outrageous. They don't know the facts, they don't know the background, they don't know the big picture, yet they feel they have the right to pass judgment. And again, a many a man has been destroyed in ministry trying to keep everyone happy and just listening to all the criticism. Uh, but the servant leader says, you know, I'm actually just playing for an audience of one. God is my judge. Verse 4, it's so liberating. It's the Lord who judges me. You see, if I'm God's servant, then actually only he has the right to judge me. And if he's entrusting me with the gospel, he's got the right to tell me how, or to judge how I've used it. It's not arrogance, it's not irresponsibility. When Paul says in, in verse uh, 4, or verse 3, he doesn't even judge himself, he's not saying he never self-examines or he never does self-discipline. Both of those are good things, but he's just saying, I recognise that actually my judgement is sinful. Sometimes I think too highly of myself, sometimes I think too lowly of myself, and as for other people, you know, the human judgement is always tinged with a bit of jealousy, a bit of pride, a pinch of self-seeking. And he's not saying that you never make judgments. You know, this next chapter, chapter 5, he says it's right to rebuke the immoral man. We, we must judge people by the way they live. But he's saying that when it comes to, to cross-centred leadership, uh, the only verdict that really counts is the last day when you stand before God and get his verdict. So verse 5 again. Wait till the Lord comes. God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. God will expose the motives of men's heart and at that time each will receive his praise from God. It's kind of like there's a day, a bit like show and tell at school, where, where everything will be revealed. Nothing is hidden. You know, methods, motives, content, all on display. And God on his throne, who has the right to judge us, he will give the verdict. Friends, if, if you're here tonight and uh, you're, you're forever examining and criticising uh, leaders, you know, making judgments about sermons or methods or decisions, uh, please stop. Please stop and ask the simple question, are they serving Christ? Are they being faithful? Are they just playing for an audience of one? And if you are a leader, you know, a connect leader or a music leader or a mission leader or an outreach leader, these verses are so liberating and yet sobering. They're sobering because, yes, we will be judged. God on that last day, verse 5, will bring to light our motives and our methods. It's not about starting work, it's about finishing work, it's about reaching that last day and saying, I've been faithful to the end. It's sobering, but it's so liberating because we don't need to be crowd pleasers. We don't need to explain everything to everyone. We're just playing for an audience of one, God himself. And I guess I'm pleading to just to pray a prayer like, you know, may God use me and, and keep me faithful and uh, be as loving and as kind as my master is and keep me a fool for Christ. And that last day, just hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is Christian leadership. Not the glory boys, but just humble, servant, Christ-centered leaders. Secondly, it's about Christian or Christ-like living. So just think for a moment. How did Jesus lead when he was here on earth? Just think about the way that Jesus led when he was here on earth. He didn't use brute force. Sometimes, when he needed to, he was compassionate, he was kind, 
He didn't demand his rights, he wasn't selfish, he didn't live in the biggest house or drive the fastest car or dine at the latest restaurants. He was battered, he was bruised, he was too weak to carry his own crossbeam. He was selfless and humble. And what does Jesus say to his followers, Mark 8? If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's radical discipleship, not living for self but living for Christ, not going the way of the world but going the way of the cross, not seeking your glory now but, but waiting for your glory then. And that's the way to live and that's the way to lead. That means uh, humility, not pride. Humility, not pride. Uh, pride is that insidious sin that, that seeps into all of us where you know, we, we do it every, every Sunday, we look around at each other and we start to make comparisons and feel smug and think, actually I'm better than that person. And we think that we're, we're someone successful. Uh, pride is a massive part of worldly leadership. You know, put on the latest designer suit or carry the latest handbag and walk into that meeting with your head held high and just think, whoa, I've made it. What does Paul say in verse 6? I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what's written. Literally, don't uh, keep your fingers in the text. Keep your fingers in God's word. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. Then you won't start saying, oh, uh, Joe is the brilliant teacher, I can't learn from anybody else. I must go to Bobby's church because he is so eloquent. What, what would Paul say to, to the leader who struts around, who thinks he's somebody? What would he say? Verse 7. For what makes you different from anybody else? What did you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He's saying in verse 7, who in the world do you think you are? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? You've got nothing that you didn't receive from God. Are you rich? That is God's grace. Are you intelligent? That is God's grace. Are you healthy? That is God's grace. Have you seen uh, growth in your church? That is God's grace. Why do you boast? Why do you keep boasting about yourself and talking about your achievements? the I word, the I language or the me language and the boasting or the I'm the brains behind this and that, that need for your name to be attached on again everything in church that's not humility, that's pride but the, the humble leader is a person who says Look, I'm happy for somebody else to take the glory for that idea it was mine, but that's okay because it's about Christ not me and we, we thank God for other leaders not, we're not competitive, we're not fighting you see, that's what the cross does. It's hard to be arrogant, it's hard to be proud when you come before the cross of Christ and you say, I'm a nobody. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. I'm no more deserving or less deserving of God's forgiveness. If we're leaders, it's all glory to Jesus. That's humbling, not proud. And it's suffering, not glory. It's suffering now and glory then. Verses 8 to 30 are actually full of irony and sarcasm. If you ever thought it was wrong to be sarcastic, just read these verses. Uh, see, Corinth was the, the it church, the perfect church. They'd made it. They had blessings and God was doing powerful work in their midst and there was talk of freedom from sickness and freedom from sin and you can conquer it and you can claim it all in the name of Jesus. You can have all the blessings of heaven in the here and now. That was Corinth. Uh, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says there's great blessings now. You're, you have an intimate relationship with God now. You're forgiven now, but you're waiting for glory. You're waiting for heaven. 
this world is not it, if this world is it, then why wait? Just listen to the irony in verse 8. Already you have all you want. You don't, want for any, you don't long for anything, do you? Not even a deeper intimacy with God. You've got it all now. Or, already you've become rich. Or, already you've become kings. You, you're reigning now as though you've entered the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. And that's not the way of the cross. Uh, the cross is weak and the cross is foolish and the, the cross is gloryless. Uh, just, just picture a, a parade. It's a Roman arena. It's a bit like our, our ticket tape parades here, you know. And who comes first? All the powerful people, all the dignities come first. And then behind them become the more junior ones. At the back in the Roman arena you'd have the, the prisoners, you've had the slaves, the people who are about to be thrown to the lions. And Paul says, you know, you guys, you're up the front. You're taking the box seats, you're parading on your glory. Me, I'm at the back, with the prisoners, with the slaves. Just walking in the footsteps of my master. Verse 9. Seems to me that God has put us to apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We're fools for Christ. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise, he said. You think you're so clever, you think you're so puffed up. I'm prepared to be stupid for the world because of Christ. Uh, verse 10 again, uh, we're weak, but you're so strong. You know, you've got your powerful presentations, you've got your, your rhetorical muscle. As for me, I'm happy to be weak. I'm happy to be dependent on God. Uh, verse 10 again, you are honoured. You know, everyone's talking about the Corinthian church. Everyone's pa- uh, podcasting your sermons. Everyone hang up your every word. Me, I'm happy to be looked down on as long as I honour Christ. Verse 11, this very hour, right up until the day Christ returns, every hour literally, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm in rags, I'm beaten, I'm homeless, I'm working my hands, I'm being cursed, I'm being slandered, I don't retaliate. Verse 13, when we're slandered, we answer kindly, up to this moment we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Just so you feel that, it's the, you know, it's the, the floor that's being swept and it's all the dregs, all, all the dirty bits that you've just, you picked up. That's how he wants to be. It's like when you wash yourself, it's all the, the dirt off your body. That's, that's how, what he wants to be. It's the garbage, the despised by the beautiful and successful people of the world. He's happy to be that because he's following Christ. And you can't help but read these verses and think of Isaiah 53. Jesus, scorned, rejected, spat on, nothing attacked about him, but he didn't retaliate. And the Bible says, if you're a leader and if you're a Christian, the way of this world is actually suffering now and glory then. 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving eternal glory that far outweighs them. Romans 8, I consider our present sufferings not worthy compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is biblical Christianity. You won't be popular. You might not wear the best clothes or drive the fastest car, but you'll be following Christ. Now, if I stood and read these verses in the church that I visited in Ethiopia, you know, people there would say, yeah, that's right. I have gone hungry. Slandered, yep, most days for being a Christian. Uh, beaten, yep, I was beaten. A number of times. But we don't feel it, do we? Because, you know, I sat writing a sermon in my office with my wireless laptop and a nice car. 
Slandered? I have been occasionally, but not often. Beaten? Never. See, it's hard to identify with Paul. I think in many ways we identify most closely with the Corinthians, don't we? Well-fed and rich and people who expect not to be slandered. And we never expect to be badly treated for being a Christian. But to go the way of Christ, you know, when the world starts to pat us on the back and when we start to talk about success and we've lost the plot, go the way of Christ, walk in his footsteps, it will be suffering now and glory there now. We don't look for suffering, but actually if we are being bold for Christ, we should expect a bit of, just a bit of slander. That's Christ-like living. Uh, finally and very briefly, uh, I think Christian leadership is about father-like discipline. Father-like discipline. There are times when a leader in a church will need to correct thinking or change behaviour. Uh, you know, you could be a policeman, lay down a law. Uh, you could be a lecturer who just teaches. Uh, you could be the lawyer, <laughs> passing the sentence. Or you could be a father. A gentle, loving discipline. That is Paul. Verse 14. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have become your father, through the gospel. And therefore I urge you to imitate me. He says they've got thousands of guardians. The guardians are just people who, who look after the children. And the guardians would be the, the teachers in Corinth who are looking after the church, but they've just got one father. It was Paul who led them to Christ. It's interesting that in the whole of Paul's epistles, he never calls them my disciples. He never uses the word my disciple. He uses the word children or brothers and sisters. It's that kind of relational language. And that's a mark of a humble leader. You correct people, but in the context of the relationships. And so verse 14, he says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to, but to warn you. That word warn is actually a, a bad translation. It's admonish you. The word admonish just means that you encourage them, you, you get alongside them, that gentle appeal to get back on track, to walk in, in the right ways. You know, when, when a father hears of his son who is gossiping or, or slandering, he could be a policeman and then lay down the law, or he could just walk alongside and put his arm around his son and say, my son, you know, why are you doing this? It's not right, you know. Look at the people you're hurting. That's what Paul is doing. He says, come on, get your thinking right. Let me admonish you. Verse 16, be like me. I urge you to imitate me. He says, I'm your spiritual father. It's that like father, like son analogy that, that would have worked so well in church 50 years ago. You know, If you were a baker, father's a baker, you be a baker. If your father was a lawyer, you be a lawyer. Let's just do it. And put your hand up here if, if you're doing exactly the same job as your father did. One. <laughs> It doesn't work today, does it? But he's saying, as a Christian, you're supposed to imitate those who are above you, those who have gone before you. Again, I could ask you to, to think about, you know, think about a sermon that's impacted you most. And you would sit there and you'd try and, you know, struggle to think of the sermon that impacted you most. If I said to you, just think of one Christian leader who's had a massive impact on you because they, they modelled the, the Christian life. I'm guessing you, you, you'd have a better job at that. Because people impact you. And he's kind of saying, imitate me. Think about the way that I lived. I lived a, a foolish life for Christ. Are you doing the same? 
he'd love to go and join them, but he can't. So he's sending uh, Timothy in verse 17. It's interesting in verse 17 that he's not sending Timothy to teach them doctrine. Verse 17, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. He's going to remind you of the way that Paul lived. But there are times when a father needs to go really hard. Like the time I hit my sister over the head with a hairdryer. Uh, my, my father didn't put his arm around me then and said, take me for a gentle walk. No, he, he really, really warned me. He told me off. Yet yeah, he used actually a belt. I needed to learn. That's what Paul does. He encourages, but he also enforces. So verse 18, some of you, just a few of you, but a few can, can shape the opinions of a crowd. Some of you are arrogant, and you need some tough love. He says, I do plan to visit, God willing, Deo Valente, but the question is, verse 21, how do you want me to come? Shall I come with a whip or with a rod? Must I come as a, a, severe, a severe disciplinarian? I will if you want me to. Or, please, let me come in love and with a gentle spirit. Depends on how you want to respond to this letter, guys. And you see what that does? It's, that's part of leadership. It's, it's getting people to change behaviour. Not the threatening, bullying, laying down a law, but the Christian leader walks alongside, encourages, rebukes, goes hard where they need to, but all the time saying, Christ, not me, Christ, not me. And see how Christian leadership is very different from the world's leadership. Not me, not me, not me, but Christ, Christ, Christ. So let me say two things as I finish. Firstly, pray for your leaders. Please pray. Uh, pray for me, pray for Mark, pray for your connect leaders, pray for your kids' church leaders, pray for your mission leaders, your student ministers, your wardens, your parish council, your bishop, your archbishop, anybody in, in a leadership position. Pray that they will be like this, servant-hearted, Christ-like. But if you're here today and you claim to follow Christ, that's true of you too. Anything I've said is true for every believer. Servant-hearted, servant of Christ, Christ-like in the way that you live, humble, not proud, willing to suffer now because you're waiting for the glory then if you are someone who plans to follow Christ please don't give in to the success syndrome the proud worldly leadership please be faithful and humble and Christ like and I pray that this church will be a church that just plays for the audience of one for that last day when we'll sit before our judge let me pray